This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The feeling that I had when I came back was, it just was uh, no uh, expressing it. Uh, it was just a feeling that uh, uh, a town wanted a fellow to come back, and I think... Uh, they showed that by uh, in the way they treated me when I first came back. On a rainy Sunday afternoon in May 1972, the Say Hey Kid made his triumphant return to New York, this time in the Mets uniform. Never shy of the big moment, Willie Mays immediately put his stamp on the season with the home run against his former team. There's a drive to left, it's well hit, and gone! Willie retired the following season after making his 24th All-Star game and appearing in his fourth World Series. This week, we celebrate the exemplary life and career of Willie Mays on his 90th birthday with special guests, John Shea, co-writer of the book, 24. Tom Seaver would say that Willie was a very helpful influence to the pitching staff and others with the Mets once he got there, even though he was in his 40s. All-time Met great and former teammate of Willie's, Ed Crane. When he joined the ball club, I knew he had a Hall of Famer coming to New York, an icon. And Hall of Famer, Orlando Cepeda. William really helped me on playing the game of baseball that you're supposed to play. This is the Amazing Mets Alumni Podcast with Jay Horowitz. Hi, this is Jay Horowitz with a very, very special edition of the Amazing Alumni Mets podcast. We're really here to celebrate the 90th birthday next week of Willie Mays. And we're wanted to have the great Olinus Cepeda on, Ed Cranepool, who's a teammate with the Mets, and John Shea, the, the best-selling author who wrote the book about time of 24. You know, before we start, I, in, in due confession, uh, I've been with the Mets since 1980, so I've been a Mets fan from 1980 to now. But from 1945 to 1979, I was a diehard Giant fan. I loved the Giants. I loved Orlando. I loved Willie. I can remember uh, sitting in my dad's apartment in 1954 watching uh, Willie Mays make the great catch against Vic Wirtz in the 1954 World Series. So this is just our way, the Mets' way of honoring the great Willie Mays. I wanted to start off with Orlando, if I could. Orlando, what was it like being Willie's teammate for nine years? What was it like playing with him every day? In 1958, when I first came to the Giants print train, the first thing that I did was to look for Willie Mays when I walked into the clubhouse. I haven't seen Willie since 1954 when he came to play winter ball in Puerto Rico. As soon as I met Willie, really, because I used to play ball, you know, my father, you know, he was a great ball player. <clears throat> so when I met Willie, he really, really made me think that I want to be a baseball player because uh, uh, watching <laughs> Willie play, 
was amazing. So I have the the pleasure the uh, the to play with Willie from '58 to '66. So Willie really helped me to be a better person and to really focus on playing the game of baseball that you're supposed to play. Because Willie, Willie came to play every single day. What made him great in your, what made Willie Mays great? Everything. Willie Mays is the best ball player ever lived. Nobody like Willie Mays. You know, I play with Roberto Clemente. I play with Hank Aaron. I play with Frank Robinson. I play as I, I play against Richie Allen, but Willie May was about everybody because I, you know, like I said before, I hate behind Willie. I play every day. Um, Willie makes every single day. He did some on the field that it's hard to imagine any human being being so talented. The way he ran the bases, the way he throw, the way he feel, the way he came on the clutch. You know, if you if you put all that together, he had to be the best player ever. Eddie, do you want to ask Orlando a question? Orlando was a great player. You know, when we used to play San Francisco, you know, the guys that beat you were the big three. You had Orlando, you had Willie, and, and of course, uh, Willie McCovey at first base also. They were great players, and, and they were the team to beat when you went to California. And Orlando is 100% correct. Willie could help you off the field, on the field. He could do a lot of things, you know, to generate a win. And, and seeing Willie, as you said, he was by far, I think, the best player that ever played the game of baseball. He, he could do everything and do it well, and, and he beat you in so many different ways. Hey, I, I want to sit here and listen to Orlando and Ed uh, spin tales of yesteryear, man. This is great. Yeah. Willie's uh, teammates and buddies, uh, it's wonderful to hear these words. And Orlando saying, you know, he made us better players, and he made us better people. And when writing the book and spending all those hours with Willie and speaking with Orlando and Ed and so many others, I kind of got that feeling that Willie was not just about winning the game that day, but, but making sure the eight guys around him, the guys on the bench, the guys in the bullpen, you know, are taken care of and are feeling confident about themselves. Whether it was Marshall and Perry meeting with him before games and going over, uh, like they said, a two minute meeting to go over, you know, what was working in the bullpen and, how I'm going to uh, play these guys. And apparently, and Ed, you could prove me wrong, but uh, Tom Seaver would say the same thing, that Willie was a very helpful influence to the pitching staff and others with the Mets once he got there, even though he was in his 40s. Amazing, amazing, you know, that uh, it's hard to imagine uh, somebody be so talented because he won so many games. That's why they said the only person that can see Willie greatness is 
another ball player because he did so many things on the field that win ball game. But, you know, if you don't know the game, you don't know what he did because I remember many times ball that's supposed to be a triple really make it a single. It's like running the bases. Many times when Willie was in base, I just follow Willie. Um, wherever Willie go, I go. So many things that Willie did on the field that people don't know about it because uh, if you never play this game, you don't notice the, the you know the small things that win ball games. And Willie used to be that way. I have one last question for you. In the history of the game, has there ever been a better 3-4-5 in the batting order than Mays, McCovey, and Cepeda? Again, I mean, together, Hall of Famers, Mays, McCovey, and Cepeda. Has there ever been a better 3-4-5 in the lineup than that? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, you know, it's funny. When you start playing ball, you know, because... Me and McCovey, uh, we came up together in the organization. Me, me and Willie checked in the same day when I first came from Puerto Rico in 19, <laughs> 1955. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. You know, I had him behind me and McCovey. And so I'm so fortunate to be able to see them every day, to play with them every single day. And uh, it's amazing. It's well, looking back, it's amazing. Well, I'm very fortunate. Well, Olin, listen, I, I really appreciate a couple of minutes this morning and I appreciate your time. It's an honor for me as a longtime Giant fan to speak to you. And uh, well, I listen to many games on the radio with the great Russ Hodges used to call the game from San Francisco, and it's a real honor to speak to you. I just wanted to, you know, thank you for your time and stay healthy, and I hope to get to see you soon. Likewise, very, very much, and thank you very much. I never think home run too much. Uh, most of the time when you think home run, you don't even hit the ball at all, but uh, it just seemed like uh, the stage was set at that particular time that I had to do something. And luckily, I said, you just, you, I, I was just lucky at that particular time that uh, I did hit the home run. And uh, I think uh, the way I felt that the players on, on the Giants felt that they had to get beat, they rather for me to beat them. And this is the way I, I feel all, you know, going around the bases. Hey, Eddie, let me ask you this. Uh, May 1972, what was your first reaction when you heard the Mets going to get trade for Willie Mays back to the Mets? Well, I was very excited, uh, you know, for a, a player like Willie to join the ball club, especially an offensive player, somebody that could help us in a lot of different ways. And it was a guy that uh, growing up, I saw Willie Mays plenty of time on TV watching the Giants. Obviously, the big series was always the Giants and the Dodgers, so they were on TV all the time. So I watched a lot of Giant games. My mom was a Giant fan, so she made me watch Willie. I went to the polo grounds growing up. I saw the type of player he was. Every time we went to California, the guys that beat us were the big three. You know, of course, Sepater, McCovey, or, or Willie Mays. And he did so many things, both offensively 
defensively. So when he joined the ball club, I knew we had a Hall of Famer coming to New York, an icon, and it was going to create a lot of excitement for New York. We knew he was at the twilight of his career. There's no question about it, but he still was able to help us in so many ways. And I've been very lucky to play two years with Willie, see him go out on top. We were in the championship. Unfortunately, we didn't win the World Series in 73. But I remained friends with him after baseball. Uh, we socialized together. We went to Florida. We were at the Doral Hotel playing golf all the time. We still talk on the phone. I spoke to him last week. You know, when the guy is 89 and he's the oldest Hall of Famer living, you know, it's, 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 it's scary. It's scary because you're at the twilight, you know, but it's still great to hear his voice. He still has that little boyish giggle in his voice. He gets excited when he wants to talk baseball and he remembers certain things and he, you know, creates some, the joy of, of the game. He loved baseball and he was the best. John, let me ask you from Willie's perspective, did the trade come as a surprise to Hammer? You know, I know, uh, 71, the Giants won uh, the, the pennant, uh, the division, the playoff. Did this, did this trade back to New York come as a surprise to him? Yeah, you know, he was 40 in 1971. He had a heck of a year. He stole 23 bags and 26 attempts. Uh, he had 100 walks. He led the league in on-base percentage at that age. Um, he had 18 home runs. So he was still very productive from the three-hole. But the following May, Horace Stoneham uh, strapped for cash. Willie Mays making all of $165,000. Uh, and Joan Payson, obviously, in love with Willie from her time with the old New York Giants as a minority owner. And now she's a majority owner of the Mets and was trying to get Willie back anyway just because she loved him. And, yeah, who, who wouldn't? But um, so finally the trigger was pulled in May of 72, uh, um, you know, Charlie Williams and, and, you know, Willie showed up, he hit a home run in his first game against the Giants to, to win that game for the Mets. And, you know, he's a part-time player, but he led that team in on-base percentage and OPS, which is a combination of, you know, on-base percentage and slugging percentage as a part-time player. So he still had his moments that year. Of course, the next year, uh, the shoulder, the ribs, uh, and the knee. You know, you need, you need the shoulder to throw. You need the knees to run. You need the ribs to hit. And he had all those injuries at different times of the year. His last regular season game was September 9th. And then Yogi, you know, uses him in the playoffs. And game one of the World Series with uh, Rusty Staub with a bum shoulder. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he – he, I mean, the, the, the Mets, Ed, right? Last place in August, first place at the end of the season – that was right. a pretty miraculous uh, finish by you guys. And, we had and a great Willie finish. There, but he didn't really contribute at the end, but he contributed overall. We had a lot of injuries in 73, and Willie was part of that injury crap. Once we got it all together, we were able to platoon and put players out there, and, and we were very good at doing that. And Willie helped, even though he wasn't playing regularly, he could help on the bench. He could help guys defensively. He worked with your offense, and just having them there, he was a threat and an asset to the ball club. And uh, Yogi then signed him up and, you know, obviously put him out there for the uh, World Series to start of the game. And he hadn't played. Batting third and playing center field, number 24, Willie May. So he hadn't been on the field working out and keeping his legs in shape. And, and obviously 
you know, age caught up with them all at once. But that was just because of lack of activity prior to the World Series. His legs were very weak. You know, uh, working out in the training room is not the same as being on field conditioning. And that really affected him. But we loved him on the bench and, and uh, he did contribute. And he was part of our team, and it was really exciting. He even played some first base the last year, right, Eddie? A little bit. Well, he did. He played. I platooned with him at first base. You know, we had uh, Milner at first base. We all platooned. But when it came to seventh inning, eighth inning, Willie would come off the field and throw me his glove and say, go out on the field. He did not want to put himself in a position defensively at first base where he was going to cost the ball game. He would, you know, even though Yogi didn't react as fast as he could have, when he saw me go out on the field for Willie, he knew he was supposed to make a defensive change. And we did that. So Willie was, was a smart player. He knew he was an outfielder by trade. And if he was playing first base, it was just because he was trying to help the ball club. I remember about May 30th or 31st, I forget, 1964. I was there as a doubleheader. Uh, 32 innings worth of baseball. He would just come up from the modern leagues, and the Mets won a doubleheader. I mean, the Giants won a doubleheader. I, I think Willie Mays wound up playing shortstop in that game, right, Eddie? I mean, oh yeah, we had guys all over the place. You know, the only time, the only reason the game ended, you know, when it did, I was hoping it went another 20 minutes. It would have started in in May and ended in June. John, Amazing. Yeah, let me ask you about, about the book. You know, we're award-winning writer with a chronicle for 30 years. How did you get to be able, I'm sure other people wanted to write the book you hmm. did. And I must say, I read the book, it's a great book. And you interspersed your stuff and Willie's stuff. How did you come to that format? It wasn't a straight bio like you usually would read. Yeah, it's not all first person and it's not your basic biography in which uh, you know the author tells the whole story. I mean, Willie, obviously, you know, I wasn't going to put him in position to do an entire autobiography where it's entirely first person because you know, you need someone, you know, to fill in the gaps and to tell the stories that, uh, you know, behind the stories to set him up. Basically, what I did, Jay, is put the ball on the tee for him. Uh, you know, by talking to Ed and and, and Kuzman and, and, and so many other Seaver, um, uh, you know, many Giants, Negro League teammates, childhood buddies, managers, commissioner. I, I talked to two presidents, Bill Clinton and, and uh, George Bush. When you leave a message saying, hey, it's about Willie Mays, people tend to call back. That's great. So, so, so I, I used all these wonderful interviews. I spoke with, you know, more than 200 people and, you know, went to Birmingham for a week and checked out his roots and Bill Greeson, his old teammate from the 48 Black Barons. The, the field is still there, Rickwood Field, uh, the oldest professional ballpark, older than Fenway, older than Rig Wrigley in the country. And it's just a gorgeous place to go for anybody, uh, I would recommend. Um, that, that's where Willie played center field as a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, and 48, 49, 50 for the Black Barons before Eddie Montague, uh, the scout, not the umpire, uh, signed him. And a year later, he was in center field at the Polo Grounds at age 20. Just a miraculous uh, story. But, uh, yeah, that was the idea. You just kind of wanted to uh, put Willie in a position where you're just kind of sitting at a bar and, and John with him and, and, you know, all these wonderful uh, ball players and people in his life uh, sort of complimenting his story. And, and Willie's voice is in boldface, separated from everything else. Yeah, and, it's a great book. Hey, it was a project of a lifetime, Jay. It's a great book. Eddie, let me ask you, when Willie got to first base, was he a talker at all? When, when he, you know, or, or, or Orlando, when they got to see it first, did they talk much at all? 
They all did. Everybody talks when you get base hits. If you strike out, you better not talk to him. But, you know, certainly when he got the first base, he was always, you know, congenial. But sometimes he was deacon you also because he wanted to distract you because he's going to steal second base. He was a great base runner. He got out there far enough to be able to do different things. He could steal a base. He knew when to go. He knew the game of baseball inside and out, and he loved to talk about it, loved to talk about other, other players. Was there one game or a catch you remember, Eddie? I know it's a little, any, one particular thing or watching him play. I mean, because your career is kind of parallel for a great a lot of time. Is there any one game or catch or thing that sticks in your mind? You know, he always did something during the course of the ball game that, that helped the Giants win, whether it be defensively, he made some great plays. But, you know, just joining the Mets, hitting a home run in the first game that he plays here, he just rose to the occasion. Willie was great under pressure. There was never any pressure that Willie couldn't play in front of. He loved to play. He came back to New York, and there it was, the excitement of hitting a home run the first day there. And I don't think he had too many more home runs after that, but he was there on opening day because he knew he was center stage, and that was the gentleman that you wanted out there at center field. Hey, John, let me ask you this. The first couple of years in San Francisco, was it true he got booed a little bit? Or, I mean, it took a while for the people in San Francisco to, to adopt him? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Uh, he, he, the, the best overall player and the most, you know, the, the, the biggest entertainer in, in all of the game, you know, with, with the basket catches and the cap flying off. And, and, and now, in the prime of his career, age 26, 27, the team moves to San Francisco West Coast baseball is created at the major league level. And there were people who sort of resented him being there. So, well, well, how could you? Well, some old timers who grew up with DiMaggio. He's our center fielder. And not only did Willie, you know, play Joe's position, but he played at Joe's ballpark, Seal Stadium, the first two years, 58 and 59. So there is the old guard and some in the media, believe it or not, who said, well, prove it. You know, we have Joe DiMaggio. Are you any better? And it took a while, believe it or not. I mean, Willie makes outs. You know, well, Joe never made an out. He never blew a catch. He never did any of that, right? <laughs> that was, the, I mean, it was 20 years earlier that he was playing for the San Francisco Seals before the Yankees called. And, you know, he was a legend as a teenager here in San Francisco. But it, 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 you know, slowly but surely, and I mean, obviously, most of the people adored Willie, loved Willie, but there were just a few people who said, well, you know, he's not Joe. And I think you have to fast forward to the end of the 62 season where, where Willie really took the Giants and put them on their back, on his back, and, and, and hoisted them into the World Series. There was a best of three because the Giants and Dodgers uh, – uh, 162 games first year in the in the National League. They went 162, and D Giants Dodgers tie, and they needed the best of three to decide who wins the pennant and goes to the series. And, you know, Willie had a great series, and um, you know, and, and and basically the last month, you look it up, he had just wonderful numbers. But I think then finally that old guard said, okay, you know, <laughs> we like him, but it was just amazing that a few people said, well, you know, he's. He's, he's playing Joe's position in, in Joe's park in Joe's city. So uh, we'll give him time. <laughs> I think you're probably correct. And I think that, you know, that since Willie was a star in New York, I think they were looking for their homegrown guys. So they really took to uh, Willie McCovey 
and they took to Orlando Cepeda. Those were two players who were homegrown. They were San Francisco uh, players from the start. So I think that's really what it was, and it took them a while. But once they realized what they had in Willie Mays, you know, quickly, I mean, they, they then took to him very, very quickly. Do you remember after he, he was a coach a little bit, didn't he teach Willie, uh, Lee Mazzilli the basket coach? Um, I don't know whether he taught Lee that. Lee really could have used the basket catch. He probably followed, you know, Willie and saw him play in the league. But he helped him along the way, you know. But uh, Willie could do it. Nobody could do it like Willie Mays in center field. I tell you what, when the ball went out there, he would get it in left center, right center. He was all over the place. And San Francisco could be the worst ballpark in baseball to play. Uh, it's a lot better now with the new stadium being downtown. But out in Candlestick Park, once 3 o'clock came around, that wind came over that hill. It was a terrible stadium. He had to even change. He would have been a better hitter if he didn't have to change his hitting. He had to hit the ball to right center because the wind started blowing the right field. It was very difficult to, to hit the ball into the left center for a home run. Jim Ray Hart was the strongest guy in the team. He hit balls through the wind, but Willie adjusted to take advantage of the conditions. But Candlestick was a terrible stadium, very cold, very windy, and the pitchers took advantage of that fact. Juan Marichal became very smart, waiting for the wind gusts to come up over the, 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 the hill and then when your eyes teared up, he started pitching. And he knew what he was doing. John, John, let me ask you, Willie had 660 home runs. How much did the ballparks hurt him if he had played a different park? Would he have been well over 700? What do you think playing the candlestick in all those parks hurt his home run production? Yeah, how could you hit 660 home runs and play most of your career at the polo grounds in Candlestick Park? I mean – Willie, you know, like Ed said, got used to going to all fields. But nobody hit home runs to center field at the polo grounds except for maybe a handful of people over the entirety of its history. So Willie had to pull it or go down the right field line. But it really wasn't uh, a play. I mean, shoot, he, after he came out of the military in 51-52, so 54 he wins the MVP. In 55 he has another great year. He hits 90 home runs in his first two years after missing two years in the military. And he's in his mid-20s. That's his prime. So when you look at 660, maybe you don't have to look at Candlestick Park because we did the research. He actually hit more homers at Candlestick during the Candlestick years than he hit on the road. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he didn't make excuses. Like Ed said, he used that jet stream in right center because when he tried to pull the ball, if he hit a fly ball, it wasn't going to go. You had to hit a line drive right through. That's correct. Through and the that's pen. what Jimmy Hart was able to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and McCovey went the other way. You know, McCovey hit it so hard it didn't matter. Um, but, uh, yeah, that jet stream for Willie, um, I guess Leo told him, hey, use back in 54 when he, he had the most home runs at the All-Star break and he was on pace for maybe challenging Babe's record, Leo told him, said, hey, you know, stop hitting home runs. Willie said, what do you mean stop hitting home runs? And he says, well, do everything. You know, get on base, steal bases, you know, concentrate on defense, make all your teammates better. So that's what he concentrated on the second half, and it was a wonderful season, but his home runs were down. Everything else was up. And, yeah, MVP, uh, you know, that was 54. He made the catch in game one against Vic Wirtz, and they swept the mighty Indians. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think – I mean, he, he would never say that if I played in another park, you know, I could have had Babe's record. But if you 
look at those 90 home runs after the military and maybe conservatively say he might have hit 60 in the two years he served in uh, the military and the Army. Um, 60 plus 60, 60 is, is 720. So that's six more than the Babes. So it might have been Willie who broke the Babes record initially. I would have loved to have seen... Great, I would have loved to have seen uh, Willie Mays in, in uh, Chicago Wrigley Field yeah. with the wind blowing out and, and the short porches all over the place. There's mm. no question about it. Candlestick Park was not great for a right-handed hitter. If you hit the ball in the air and, and it was a fly ball, it was not going to carry out. It could carry – if you started it in left field, it could wind up in the right field corner because I never saw wind come out over those hills – and we almost had a ball game canceled because of the wind, because it was dangerous to go out on the field. We were hitting balls to left field, and they were winding up in right field. That's it was funny. terrible to play in Candlestick Park. No, nobody liked to play there. Fortunately for us, we only played two nights uh, a week in Candlestick. We played Tuesday nights. We played Friday nights. But they were the worst nights of your, your career. <laughs> you hated it. Wow. Hey. Hey, guys, I really appreciate your time, Eddie. And John Shea's book, 24, St. Martin's Press, Met fans, Giant fans, baseball fans, go out and buy it. A great book about the greatest player ever lived. And I want to appreciate guys' time, uh, John and Eddie. It's been a, it's a pleasure for me. I feel like a kid again, talking about Willie Mays. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're talking about a good one. Yeah, well, Eddie, thank you. John, thank you for your time. And continue success with the book, my friend. My pleasure, Jay. Uh, Ed, great to see you. And uh, thanks again to Orlando. This has been wonderful. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.